On this episode of the St. Philip Institute podcast, we're going to launch our short series on Advent. In a particular way, we're going to be looking a lot at this book, Dawn of the Messiah by Ed Sri. And in this specific episode, we're going to talk about the link between John the Baptist and Jesus. Please enjoy. Welcome to the St. Philip Institute podcast, where we explore the sources of the Catholic faith, including the scriptures, the documents of the church, the teachings of the Second Vatican Council, and the lives and witness of the saints. St. John Paul II often said, Duke in Altum, set out into deep waters. And our goal here at the podcast is to help you do just that. We don't want to merely provide you with information. Instead, we seek to help you achieve a true transformation and to respond to the Lord's call in your life to live out the universal call to holiness. Hi, welcome back to the St. Philip Institute podcast. I'm very excited today to be kicking off our series on Advent, and we also have a different Advent series on Life Beyond the Chariot with Mickey and Deanna, so check that out as well. Um, In this discussion on on the series on this podcast, what we're going to be really diving in a lot um, is looking into the scriptures and looking into both the infancy narratives, which will start today, uh, and then also some of the Old Testament prophecies that um, really point us toward uh, Christmas. One of the things I want to mention at the beginning of this episode uh, is this book by Ed Sri. It's called Dawn of the Messiah. Um, You can get it from Servant Books. It's really affordable, um, and it's very easy to digest. It's not like way super advanced, um, but it's beautiful. I've read it many, many Advents, and a lot of what I'll be pulling, although not not just from this, but a lot of what I'll be presenting, uh, especially in these first two episodes, is going to be coming from this book. So I highly recommend it. So we're in Advent. Um, we're gearing up for uh, the celebration of Christmas, the celebration of Christ's birth. Um, what is that about? What is Advent really for? This is a tricky season um, because it's so easy to commercialize preparation for Christmas. Preparing for Easter, like Lent, people haven't figured out how to make much money off of turning that into a sort of secular celebration that has nothing to do with the real purpose of it. They've done really good with Christmas. Like, it's a commercial thing, and so preparing for Christmas means buying presents, decorating your house, and doing all this other sort of stuff, right? And those things are okay. It's not like you shouldn't ever do that. But I think it's easy for us to miss, as Catholics, the purpose of Advent, the deeper sort of spiritual reason for it. So that's what I wanted to do in this series, is really help us plug into Um, really the mystery of Advent and see it through the lens of the Church and in a particular way by looking at the Scriptures. So I want to start by um, reading two paragraphs from the Catechism of the Catholic Church that describe sort of the character of Advent, because I think it's one of the things that we frequently overlook. Um, So this is (coughs) paragraph 522 from the Catechism, so it'll be 522 and 524. Um, So 522 says this, The coming of God's Son to earth is an event of such immensity that God willed to prepare for it over centuries. He makes everything converge on Christ, all the rituals and sacrifices, figures and symbols of the first covenant. He announces him— 
through the mouths of the prophets who succeed one another in Israel. Moreover, he awakens in the hearts of pagans a dim expectation of this coming. Then this is paragraph 524. When the church celebrates the liturgy of Advent each year, she makes present this ancient expectancy of the Messiah. For by sharing in the long preparation for the Savior's first coming, the faithful renew their ardent desire for his second coming. I'll repeat that last line. By sharing in the long preparation for the Savior's first coming, the faithful at Advent, we renew our ardent desire for his second coming. So at the heart of Advent is for us as a church to reawaken, to sort of re-enter into that ancient expectation for the coming of the Messiah. And I love that the Catechism makes it clear that everything converges on Christ, ultimately. Everything about the Old Covenant ritual, sacrifices, figures, and symbols, and prophets point us toward Christ. And it even has this line says, Moreover, he awakens in the hearts of the pagans a dim expectation of this coming. So uh, there's, there's a sense in which not just the Israelites, not just the Jews, were waiting for expecting some sort of a some sort of a new thing, some sort of a change, some new person to sort of fix a lot of problems. Um, if you look at, for instance, Fulton Sheen's um, Life of Christ, the first couple of chapters, maybe the first one, he talks about pagan or non-Jewish expectations of a Messiah around the time of Christ, and there really was this sort of just, I don't know, electricity in the air of even non-Jewish people waiting for and expecting salvation, expecting a Savior, expecting someone to come and sort of fix the problems that the world was having. Um, and so it, it's, it's, it's very fitting in, in all sorts of ways that Finally, Christ comes exactly when he did. Uh, and the purpose of the Advent season is to help us sort of understand that expectation um, and then uh, be able to enter into it a little bit. So what I want to do in this in this first discussion is really point us in a very particular way into seeing John the Baptist, his role as sort of the forerunner of the Messiah, the last of the prophets who points the way not just to a Lord who will be coming later, but to say, hey, that's him, that guy. He is the Messiah, right? He is the one uh, that, that we've been waiting for. To see the link between John the Baptist and Jesus as it's played out in Luke's Gospel. Um, one of the things that that I every Advent I, I again am amazed at is the richness of the first two chapters of Luke's Gospel. Uh, they are packed with so many really important events, one after another. It's it's almost like sort of like a greatest hit CD. Like everything in those first two chapters is just a big hit for Luke. It's, it's something that we're still reading every Advent, right year after year. And those there's they're so long too. I think the first chapter has more than more than eighty verses or eighty verses or something, and, and the second one's a similarly very very long. Um, and, and it's all just incredibly rich. And what you sort of see, um, and again, I'm drawing this from Ed Shree's, uh Dawn of the Messiah, um, what you can see sort of is, if you sort of zoom out, 
uh, is that these first two chapters are really presenting sort of, here's John the Baptist, and here's Jesus, and the two go together. And they're going to go together um, not just at the beginning of Luke's gospel, but ultimately, right, John is going to help prepare and point toward the Messiah who will come and fulfill all the expectations of the Israelites. So then, as you were to read through the first chapter of Luke's gospel, first two chapters, I guess, what you ought to see is the deep unity between the two, even in the way that Luke narrates their lives. Okay, so both in the way the births of John the Baptist and Jesus are announced, like the, 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 there is a uh, prophecy of how the birth is going to happen, right? That angel Gabriel, actually, in both cases, comes to one of the parents and says, here's all the stuff that's going to happen, um, and, it's, and it's laid out really beautifully. That announcement of the birth of John the Baptist and of Jesus are sort of parallel stories, right? It's, it's nearly identical, but there is, you know, some little differences, but both messages really, really closely track. And then also the actual birth narratives of both John the Baptist and Jesus have very close parallels. And this ought to, we ought to see this, right, as pointing to the unity of John the Baptist and Jesus. And maybe sometimes at Christmas um, or, you know, in the Advent season, but but as particular as we get really close to Christmas, it, it might be easy to kind of ask, like, why are we reading about John the Baptist? Or, you know, it, what is the, the function of this story? Why, why are we reading about this? So this is what I wanted to do, is just kind of focus on the announcement of the birth and then the actual narration of the birth of both John the Baptist and Jesus to help us see the unity between them. So in both cases, um, the announcement about the birth of John the Baptist and Jesus is coming from an angel. So that's a pretty big deal, right? There's, it's not just like, oh, we discovered we're pregnant and we're going to have a child. Now, Gabriel appears to Zechariah on the one hand, John the Baptist's father, and Mary, Jesus's mother. Uh, and in, in both cases, Gabriel has this very powerful encounter with Zechariah and Mary, um, in which they are certainly caught off guard, uh, but also um, receive very similar messages. And something interesting about John the Baptist's, um, you know, the announcement of his birth is that Zechariah was serving as a priest uh, at the time. He was on rotation. Priests in the Old Testament um, and in even the life of Jesus, right, the, the Jewish priesthood, um, you would serve sort of two weeks a year, um, and it was sort of uh, on a rotating basis. So you'd go to Jerusalem, uh, and you would serve your your time as a priest in the temple, and then go back home to your family. Uh, and when you were in Jerusalem, you drew lots for different things that the different duties that were required. And so Zechariah, John the Baptist's father, gets this 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 really awesome opportunity to go and offer incense in the holy place. So not in the Holy of Holies, which is where God is present um, in the temple, but just outside of that to offer incense at an altar. Actually, this is so uh, rare in the life of a priest that if if he ever gets to do that, to, to be selected to offer incense in the holy place, 
he will not ever again be in the running for it. And they literally just cast lots. They're gambling. Uh, Mike, Michael Barber has this uh, great article, uh, the title of which is Holy Craps, <laughs> and how, how there's gambling involved in the priesthood as they're trying to figure out who's going to offer the incense. So anyways, you're, in the, you're sort of you're in the pool, and you might get to do this. Uh, and then if you get selected for the rest of your life, you never get an opportunity because once is enough for for any priest, right? It's a this tremendous honor. So Zechariah is, you know, getting a a once in a lifetime opportunity to go in and be just just a a, a breath away from the holy of holies and offer incense um, in the holy place. And this is where Gabriel appears to him. Um, so it's sort of a natural place where you might see an angel in, in a certain sense. It's that close to the presence of God that maybe he shouldn't be surprised. But what is his response? He is he he is afraid and troubled. Um, now Mary, on the other hand, we don't know exactly what it was that she was doing or exactly where she was um, when you know the angel Gabriel appeared to her. But in both cases, you have an angel Gabriel coming and visiting these important figures, like the parent, the father of John the Baptist, the mother of Jesus, and both Zechariah and Mary say, uh, the, or Luke's gospel narrates that they were troubled. They were afraid. And I think it's maybe weird for us because we have really kind of, for the most part, uh, very uh, sanitized images of angels. Um, you know, we see like the little cute baby angels and we say, oh, why would you be afraid of that? But in, in the in the scriptures, when angels are around, it's usually scary. Um, they're, they're, not, they're not necessarily cute figures. Um, so Zechariah and Mary are both troubled. So you have Gabriel's appearance, and then the report that John the Baptist and—or uh, it's not John the Baptist, right? Zechariah and Mary were both troubled. But then the angel Gabriel responds to both of them, do not be afraid. So the angel sort of is like, yeah, I, I know, you're, you're afraid, but look, listen, don't be afraid, do not worry— and then he's there to sort of deliver a message to them, right? So in both cases, for Zechariah and Mary, just after the angel appears and they're troubled, the angel Gabriel says, do not be afraid, and then proceeds to sort of give them the news. So it's it's the same verse or the, or the following verse. So in Luke chapter 1, verse 13, Gabriel says to Zechariah, do not be afraid, and then immediately in verse 13, foretells the miraculous birth of of his son, right? And him, why is it a miraculous birth? Zechariah and uh, Elizabeth had been, I don't know, is Elizabeth his wife's name? I, 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 I might be mixed up, but Zechariah and his wife uh, had been barren. Uh, they had not had a child, even though they had been very righteous and followed all the commandments. This was a, very, uh, a natural connection in Judaism between fidelity to the Lord's commandments and having children. And so the fact that they had been righteous and, and, and steadfast in holding to the covenant but didn't have children look was sort of suspicious to outsiders who would say, maybe there's something wrong that we can't see. Um, so it, it was very unusual for them to not have a child, and especially in Elizabeth's old age, but a miraculous birth is going to happen. Like your uh, time of being barren is coming to an end. You are going to have a child. Uh, in Luke chapter 1, verse 30, Mary is told, do not be afraid. And then in verse 31, here is what's going to happen. You are going to have a child. In both cases, for John the Baptist and for Jesus, 
Gabriel is the one that gives them the name that you shall call the child. So in Luke 1, verse 13, Gabriel says, you shall call his name John. And in Luke verse, chapter 1, verse 31, for Jesus, uh, Gabriel says, you shall call his name Jesus. Now, both of these births obviously are uh, very unique, very uh, miraculous, um, and they are both, Zechariah and Mary, told your child um, is going to be great. Now, there is a distinction. John is going to be great before the Lord, and Jesus simply will be great. So sort of in the eyes of the Lord, John the Baptist will be great. Not everybody maybe is going to recognize his greatness, but the Lord sees him as great. Jesus is great in and of himself. It's not just that the Lord sees him as great, but of course he is great. And of course, you know, we later know, see the difference that he's the Messiah and John the Baptist is the forerunner. Still, very important, but not as significant as the Messiah himself. Interestingly, both Zechariah and Mary respond with a question, how shall I know this? This is the question that Zechariah asks Gabriel, whereas Mary says, how shall this be since I have no husband? Um, and John the Baptist, unfortunately, there's there's a note of sort of disbelief or not, not having trust, not trusting Gabriel, and he's punished with silence, right, uh, until uh, much later on in the story. Mary doesn't want to know does it doesn't doubt that it can happen, but she wants to know, since I have, you know, I'm I'm a virgin, how am I going to have a child? Um, because she has this intuition, and it's really not clear in the text that, you know, it's not going to be with Joseph. And then it's after that question that uh, the angel actually clarifies that it will be through the power of the Holy Spirit that she will conceive a, a child and, and that it was going to be the Lord's child, right, born through her. But so just, again, to, to back up, in both cases, for the announcement of the birth of John the Baptist and Jesus, you have Gabriel's uh, apparition, Gabriel appearing, uh, both John the Baptist, or Zechariah, I keep doing that, both Zechariah and Mary are troubled. Gabriel tells them both, do not be afraid, then proceeds to explain that they will have this very special birth. They are given the name of their son by Gabriel. Then they are told their child will be great, and they each respond with um, a, a question for Gabriel. Okay, so that's the birth outline. And what you'll see is if you were the, the announcement of the birth, the outline, if you read straight through Luke's gospel, you're, you're going straight through the story of John the Baptist, how his birth is being foretold, then straight through, right after that, the story of Jesus's birth, how it is foretold, and then right after that, you go back to John the Baptist, and here's the birth of John the Baptist, uh, and then you, right immediately following on that, are told um, the story of Jesus's birth. So if we look at the story of the birth, um, this is sort of what follows. So you have birth announcement, birth announcement, John the Baptist, Jesus, then birth story and birth story, John the Baptist and Jesus. And that's the first sort of four big stories that are told um, in the first two chapters of Luke's gospel. So in the account of the birth for both John the Baptist and Jesus, we have uh, uh, the, the exact pattern. The birth itself is described, then there is a story of the circumcision and naming, then there is a clear praise to God and thanksgiving for the child, and then there is a description by Luke um, the author of the gospel, about the growth 
and maturity of both John the Baptist and Jesus. So uh, the, the parallel that is begun with announcing the birth of John the Baptist and Jesus just continues straight forward into the actual story of the birth. Um, so we first get John's birth described, then very, and that's very quick. It's it's like it's one verse, I think, and then immediately is the circumcision and naming of John the Baptist, and this is where finally you know Zechariah gets to speak again. Um, and when Zechariah gets to speak, um, he praises God in thanksgiving for the child. This is the great magnificent, or, or not magnificent, Benedictus, right uh, from the liturgy of the hours. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, for he's come to his people and set them free. This this beautiful prayer is a result of, um, y- you know, Zechariah's sort of long silence um, as he's awaiting the birth of John the Baptist. So uh, in Jesus' birth, we have the story of the birth, which is pretty long. It's 20 verses. It's the birth of Jesus, of course. Uh, then uh, he is the, there's the story of his circumcision and, and the naming. Um, and in the temple there, Simeon praises God in thanksgiving for the child, um, and uh, so, so it matches up with the, the account of John's birth. There's the birth, the circumcision, praising of God. And then, interestingly, Luke describes in both cases the child—so this is the, the description for John. The child grew and became strong in the Spirit. Um, and then for Luke—sorry, uh, for Jesus, rather, Luke says, "...the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom." And so you get— Basically, a, a ton of information about the prediction of the birth, then the birth itself, the circumcision, the praise to God, and, and then just this, they grew in maturity. And then we sort of fast forward, and we see Jesus as, as an adult, basically. Um, I mean, there is a little story, right, about him being found um, later, but there's not, there's not a lot in between. And this is very common of uh, Greco-Roman biographies. Um, we've done, um, uh, we've ta- I've talked about that before on the podcast, so I won't get get into that. But in both uh, uh, the narration of John the Baptist and Jesus' story, you see them tracking very closely together, and that is because there are figures that, that go together, right? You can't understand John the Baptist um, without realizing that he identified the Messiah, and Jesus fulfills all of the things that are happening to John the Baptist in a super abundant fashion, right? He's not only great uh, in the eyes of the Lord, he is in fact great. He is not just the child, Jesus is not just a child born to barren parents. No, he is the child born to a virgin, right? Um, and his the praise that, that, that Zechariah wants to offer for, you know, um, John the Baptist being born uh, obviously falls short of, of how much we're going to wind up praising Jesus, this child, and Simeon has the sort of the, the perception to see that. Um, but the the, this, the reason I, I want to focus on this is because it, it helps us to see that right from the beginning of Luke's gospel, he is tying these stories together, and he's also sort of showing uh, by the fact that John the Baptist is a prophet and then Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is going to wind up super abundantly fulfilling, overflowing, right, all the expectations that uh, were present in Israel. So um, that's that's really kind of the, the key point here is, is just to, to see that Luke is very consciously painting this narrative for us in a way that, that links these two figures together and also shows Jesus 
right from the beginning as sort of overflowing and fulfilling um, ancient prophecies uh, of, you know, the Messiah. And that'll be a little bit more clear as we, we talk about the Annunciation of Mary and some of the, some of the connections there. Um, but in, in a sense, this is sort of the kernel of, of starting this series, is to see that in our accounts in the Gospels of the birth of Jesus, there is a rich, multi-layered thing uh, going on. When we're aware of it and we see it, it helps us to sort of enter into the season of Advent with a little bit more depth and a little bit more sort of spiritual maturity to help us really see what the purpose of the season is, which is, again, according to the Catechism, right, to enter into the long preparation, to share in the long preparation for the Savior's first coming, so that we can renew our ardent desire for his second coming. So I hope you enjoyed this um, first episode and encourage you to stick around for the other episodes in this Advent series because we're going to unpack a lot more of the details that's going on in the scriptures that will help us to prepare for Christmas. So stick around. Thanks.